You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey gals, welcome to The Devoted Podcast. Glad you guys are here, and I'm excited for today, because guess what? It's not just me in the closet. Today, I'm going to be joined by Becca Frost. She is a longtime friend, a very faithful, dear, dear friend that I also somehow swindled into working for me. <laughs> <laughs> so Becca, thank you so much for doing this. I love getting to be in the closet and getting to do this. And when we say she's in the closet, I mean, guys, she's actually in the closet this time. There's not very many people. I feel badly about that because that means you're actually, it's in the closet. I think it's a privilege. Oh, well, you're you're really kind. (laughs) Really kind. She's here with her, her daughter today at my house and her sweet girl. She was watching us get set up and she goes, you're actually in the closet. In the closet. Like, really in the closet. (laughs) So, yeah, we are, because we're fancy like that. Well, today what we're going to do, and the the reason I asked Becca to join me on this, was we're at long last going to do kind of a Q&A episode. Over the last, I'm embarrassed to say this, guys, but even over the last three years, some of these questions are that old. Mm -hmm. You're going, Amy, why are you even... Now, to be fair, I did respond to these folks on emails. It wasn't like I just left everybody high and dry or not respond to someone for three years. But I kept these questions because I thought that chances are, if somebody's got a question, somebody else has that question also. So I've just kind of hung on to them. And I've been saying that, hey, eventually we'll do a QA and a episode and kind of chat through some of these. So that is what we're going to do today. And so it's this kind of be a smorgasbord of all kinds of things. But before we jump into the questions, here's one thing that I kind of my disclaimer message about Q&As is the thing that makes me nervous is that anybody would actually look to Amy for answers. Yikes. Okay. We're going to do our best, right? And we want to be discerning and, and we want to, yes, help other people and point them in the right direction. But it's also so important for us to remember where our answers really come from. So Beck and I don't have, we're, we're not experts over here or anything like that. And I hope that you gals, that while hopefully some of this is helpful to you, the most help that it's going to be to you is if it points you to the scriptures and points you to prayer with the Lord asking him these questions, very specific questions. You know, I think sometimes we think that, well, because I can't see the Lord right in front of me, I can't go have coffee with him and I can't get this physical answer right in front of me, that somehow his answers are less and Actually, it's so much different than that, right? It's complete opposite. The Lord's answers are always what's best for us. The Holy Spirit absolutely will reveal things and show things to us through God's word. And it's a really amazing, amazing thing. Now, it's also not the easy thing either, right? It's a lot easier for me to call Becca up and say, Becca, what should I do about this? Mm-hmm. And you'll tell me all of your wisdom. <laughs> yes. Usually it's just I point you back to the Bible because I don't have the answers. Right. It's easier Mm -hmm. to reach Mm -hmm. out to someone else and and say, hey, what should I do? But really, our first line of defense always, always, always needs to be to go to the Lord in prayer and ask him for these things. So I know a lot of you guys like, yes, yes, I know that. But that is my big disclaimer. And I really hope it doesn't just get brushed under the rug because I do think it is really important that we, we just really seek the Lord on our questions. But with that and with that hefty disclaimer, Becca, why don't you kick us off with what our first question is going to be here. Our first question is even, and this is something that we've actually received multiple times from multiple people of just trying to navigate family 
boundaries yeah, and dealing with whether it's with in-laws or with your own family. And it's a wide variety of different things that may be, but just trying to make sure how do you take care of your kiddos and continue to raise them in the ways that you and your spouse want to be doing with the ways of the Lord, but also it's family. So sometimes that can get a little tricky and sticky and how to be respectful and where to kind of go with that. So... Yeah. So we want to talk about family. And like she said, all these questions, we've heard them multiple times just with slightly different reiterations of things. So sometimes we've heard this from the perspective of a family member who is clearly doing something that is against scripture and then how to kind of navigate that with your family. So we'll just kind of approach this with kind of some broad strokes, I suppose. But in circumstances where you've got your kiddos, and this will always depend on the age of your kids too, right? You really need to make some of these things very age appropriate. The very first thing that as a married couple with kiddos and and the things that you're navigating with your family for us gals is to come under your husband's covering. That is going to be your biggest protection and blessing. Gals, don't forget that that the Lord created our husbands to take a lot of these hits. And I guarantee you, because I know I found this in my own marriage, things that I can just be in knots about with other family members or other situations. When I talk to him about it, it's not that he's not concerned, but he's not freaking out to the level that I am. They just have a steadiness that the Lord honestly gave them and built them to be that way. And that's really a blessing. So we want to allow them to be our covering in these things. Yeah. I think the other thing to remember is that while it might be a really close family member that's maybe saying words that are maybe divisive or even just hurtful or and you're trying to navigate those things, remembering that you can still love them. And also remembering that the enemy loves to use family members as his spokesperson in remembering that our battle is not against that person and that it's just the enemy is just using them as words to be delivered that can cause that division. Jesus even tells us in Luke 12, verse 53, it says, fathers will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother. And he kind of explains this, that, you know, when we choose to follow Christ, there will be divisions within families because of that. But we just have that choice to still try to be as loving as we can, while also still making sure that we represent Christ and that we continue to follow his leading and what he has for our own families. Isn't it interesting that us just as As people, we don't like conflict. Mm -hmm. And gals especially, we really don't like conflict. I don't know a whole lot. I mean, I'm sure there's there's some out, but we don't really like a fight. And we can perceive that if there's conflict in something, that we need to do anything we can to make it go away. And sometimes, just like that passage is saying, there actually will be conflict. And there will be things, I think especially in these days, where we're just going to have very different views, even amongst Christians, even sometimes. Now, you need to be even discerning about that on, you know, making sure that you're camping out on an issue that is an actual real essential and not something that's just a secondary issue. But when there are those big issues, making sure that we are willing to tackle it. And again, coming into your husband's covering with that. Now, if I could give you just maybe some practical things, and I and I hesitate to do this because I just think that the circumstances could be so varied. But Sometimes when this comes up, a lot of times we get this question is around like Thanksgiving or Christmas when people are trying to figure out, oh, man, how are we going to do this big family gathering when my cousin over here who's coming just announced that she wants different pronouns used and different things like that? Like, how how am I going to navigate this? 
and that's a that's a hard one to be able to figure out because you do want to maintain relationship and be loving, but you need to also still be following Jesus and doing what he has commanded you to do. It's so, I think, against what we think sometimes uh, on this kind of a side note, but on this pronoun issue and people thinking that I need to do that so that I am being respectful or I'm still maintaining relationship. Whether you're talking to someone who has worked extensively with people that are either in the transgender community or or if you're just somebody that says, actually, scripture says that there's one man, one woman. So to affirm anything different, is actually affirming a lie. And I've even listened to, you know, testimonies of people that used to be in a transgender lifestyle and they have come out of that and they have actually said, "Oh no, don't affirm that identity. Don't affirm that. That's affirming a lie." So, it's kind of not our go-to to necessarily think that that's the loving thing to do to maintain relationship. But I say that to say that in a circumstance with a family member or things like that, always being very prayerful about that. But don't be something that scripture tells you not to be, if that makes sense. So I don't know. Do you want to add anything on that? I just think whether it's if people are coming to you because of, you know, maybe that scenario or maybe it's they've got opinions on how you're schooling your child or how you're parenting. Yes. Or vaccinations or, you know, any of those different things. Just make sure that your family is just staying grounded in the word and that you continue to keep Christ the focus of it, but also just being wise and just saying, okay, is this going to honor the Lord or is this going to not honor him? And then trying to navigate that each time and just really being really prayerful about it with your husband and just saying, okay, Lord, you're in control. We want to follow you. I love what you're adding there on that asking how, Lord, can we honor you in this situation? Do you notice that question does not necessarily say, how can we resolve this conflict or how can we make this all go away and this just all go back to the good old days kind of thing when we all got along. It's praying about how you can honor the Lord in that. And that's probably, that's a better perspective on where we need to be. So a lot of family dynamics. We could spend a lot of time on that, but I want to keep going. We have several questions on here. So our next one, they were asking a question about Romans 12 and the specific verse I want to read to you that this is Romans 12, 17 and 18. And this is what it says. It says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, we've all heard this passage quite a bit, actually, over the last couple of years, because a couple of years ago, it was, we need to live peaceably with all, then that, what does that mean? Does that mean I need to wear a mask? Does that mean I need to, the list was long on all the things that we needed to do to live peaceably with everyone. And lots of times, I would say most, that scripture just got quoted with that. It just said, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, that is just a caution right there. If someone's just going to take a few phrases out of a scripture and not provide any other context, you need to go to the word and see what it really says before you make a stand on what you want to do. But Becca, why don't you give us a, a few thoughts on this particular verse? Live peaceably with all. How would that look? I think it's there's a key phrase that's right before that. It says, if possible. <laughs> And the Lord is kind of letting us know there's going to be times we won't be able to live peaceably with everyone. And so, again, taking it back and going, okay, Lord, how do I honor you in this situation? Where would you want me to be the peacemaker? And that with only with his spirit can we be a peacemaker. And Jesus tells us, blessed are the peacemakers, right? However, at the same time, sometimes being the peacemaker, that doesn't mean bending 
to what the other person wants if that goes against the Lord. We still have to stick to the truth and we still have to represent the Lord and what he's calling us to do. It does not mean just going by the wayside and going, okay, I'll just bend to this. Mm-hmm. And that is a one where it could have been translated perhaps in your workplace, just to go back to the pronoun example we were ta- just talking about, to live peaceably at all within your workplace might have been while well, everybody was listing their pronouns on their name thing and their profile. And so that's what I need to do to be peaceably with all and, and thinking that that is a biblical prescriptive than to do that. And scripture is not going to contradict itself. So scripture is not going to say one thing in, in a different place that would be inconsistent with what you should do. So it is not to live peaceably with all to do something that is against what God is saying. So that's really important to make sure you're being consistent with what God is telling us to do and not picking and choosing. Also, be careful to just not let the world dictate what they deem as this is what it means to live peaceably with all. That's not the if then. No, no, it's really not. And that's why we want to be gals that live by what the word says and how the Lord tells us what it looks like to live peaceably with all. And it's not always super comfy. So, but it's a good question. Another question, which I know can be one that can be kind of tricky for some people, is the Christian lingo and not getting like, because... It can go all of what is egalitarian and what is, you know, the different terms of what's an amill and, you know, like it kind of goes, you know, there's times that sometimes I think a lot of gals are just sitting there smiling, going, sure. Yep. The terms are being used. I don't really need to know what that means or just maybe they do want to know and they have no idea where to turn. So maybe we can kind of talk about that a little bit. First of all, I want to say to gals that it's great to have a good understanding of good theology and good terms. Like, I don't think we need to, I think it's okay to go to the work of actually learning what these things mean. I encourage gals to have high biblical literacy and really understand what the Bible is saying and know what the Bible says for yourself, not just from what even some commentary told you or whatever. So I think that's super important anyway. Is knowing all the terms and all the fancy things, is that necessary to your salvation? No, it's not. So don't let that be a detraction, too, from just what the real gospel is of just knowing that you're a sinner and Jesus died for your sins and he rose from the grave. I mean, let's not let it get too carried away in in letting it detract from the gospel. But I do think it's a worthy thing to actually understand what a lot of these things are. And that's where the question, I think, is excellent on the sources on where you go and get that, because there are a lot of different things out there. Some of them are going to be what we've called secondary issues of things that aren't necessarily essential. So when we talk about eschatology, that, you know, that's end times discussions that we have. Those are secondary conversations. Those aren't things that are essential to the faith that we all believe in a pre-trib view or an amillennialist view or those kinds of things. But I think it's good to know your Bible and know what the Bible says about prophecy and end times and eschatology. Those are great. And I think what we lose sometimes, sometimes people can go, oh, well, if I say all those terms and I you know, sound super smart and super spiritual, but actually what a study of that does is you get to know the big picture of God and how he is playing out his whole story throughout creation. And at Athey, We've just been studying Matthew 24 quite a bit. And so we've been looking at all of the different eschatological views. And when scripture talks about prophecy, that Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, I love that because that is what you see. You see how the loving hand of Jesus 
it is there through all of even when his picture of his whole redemptive plan through the tribulation and through his second coming, giving us this feeling that he is coming back, this eminence that we can live for that day. And those give us hope in these days. And so I think it's really good to learn that. Now, a couple spots that we can turn to and make sure we're figuring out what some of these terms mean and what the essentials are and what they aren't. I would really recommend going to Athey Creek's website and Pastor Brett's done how many are on there? There's six teachings. There's six mm-hmm. teachings on essential doctrines. If you've not listened to those, I really encourage you to listen to those because those are the ones that you're going to learn some things like justification and imputed righteousness. You'll learn some things like that, some terms like that, that are really critical to our faith and understanding scripture and salvation. So those are really good. We'll put a link to that in the notes on this podcast so you can go and listen to those six teachings. I think another thing, especially for depending on what your marriage looks like and stuff, maybe you're like, I don't have a husband that necessarily knows these things either. Do it together. Get in there. David and I can really have a fun time of going round and round about why do we think one camp thinks one thing, one camp another, kind of playing almost a devil's advocate with each other of seeing those different things. Because when you get in the word together, you can start to see those different pieces and how this all plays together. But to do it together as a couple is a whole other thing. And if there's those questions that if maybe you're like, I still don't know what this means, you can really go to him, ask him those questions. It's a sweet encouragement to your husband for him to be able to also you know, be able to lead you. Ephesians 5 tells the guys to be washing their wives in the word. And this is just one extra fun step. And for you guys, it's just keeping Christ in that center. It's just another, and I know it's not for everyone to get, you know, maybe into the deep theological talks, and yet there's still such a richness that can happen from it. Now, I would also say this, you know, gals, if you're sitting there going, oh, man, I really want to study this stuff. And maybe you go listen to Pastor Brett's teachings and he's talking about these things with justification and you want to talk to your husband about that. And I still want to caution you a little bit. Like, what if your husband's in a spot that he didn't have a bunch of extra hours in his day that he got to listen to Pastor Brett's teachings or that he got to do a deep dive on that? Do this in a way that is still respectful to your husband and also not coming in front of like, look how amazing and smart I am. And I've learned all these things and we can do that. And that makes it sound bad. But actually, gals, we have to be careful because you can be a little bit manipulative in this. And maybe you're not trying, but I, I can think of like even like in a family devotion type of thing, if you're if your husband is leading in devotions, sometimes we can want to be like, you know, maybe if he would have said it this way, mm-hmm. that would have been better. And so you can maybe even jump in there and kind of correct. Don't do that because mm-hmm. you can be taking away from really, you know, how your kids are getting to see him. And it also just kind of looks like you're trying to undercut his authority. And it's when your husband is willing to pray with the family and lead your family in devotions, man, that's not always easy for mm-hmm. all of them. And we want to be building up of mm-hmm. that and encouraging them mm-hmm. in that. And so just be careful and you don't want to be like lording over your vast knowledge, which come on, gals. We don't have that anyway. And if you think you do, then no, we don't. So just be, I guess, cognizant of that when you're studying these things. It's great to study, but be respectful in that in that context with your husbands. Yeah. A practical source that maybe yeah. they might want to check out is a website that's called Got Questions. Yep. I'm going to butcher it. GotQuestions.com, yeah, GotQuestions.com. Right? I mean, super easy, right? But it really is a pretty solid source. And they will say both sides of things, of different debates. And so if you hear some 
theological term and they were like, what in the world is that? You can just type that in there and it'll give you some articles that are pretty short. I will say they're not like super wordy, nothing like super scholarly that you can't just kind of take it in in a couple minutes and it can really help. Yeah. And they'll give scriptures and those Lots different things. Lots of scripture. I really and like once that again, them. even with them giving the scriptures, make sure you're going back to the word. Be that yeah. Berean, open up your Bible, read those and go, okay, is this actually what this means here? I will even say, because on those sites, it is really good. They will always put hyperlinks to the scriptures. So like if they're going to quote Ephesians 5, they will put Ephesians 5 verses, you know, two through three or whatever, and you can click on it or you can hover over it and it'll put the verse on there, which again, that's really helpful because then it'll bring it to mind. But even with that, I want to give you a little bit of a just a flag to then go back and look at it within context, because you still have to be careful about just plucking something out of the context that it was presented in. And sometimes you need to read the chapter before and what comes after for that. So but yeah, I do like that site. Okay, this is a fun one. We've gotten this one a couple times. Like I said, a lot of these questions, these are just reiterations. So we've heard these several times. But this one is on should Christians, should Christian gals do yoga? Yeah. <laughs> Fun one. And Becca's going to handle this all for you guys. It's such an interesting, if you would have asked me this question 15 years ago, I might have had a different answer. Probably because I didn't know a whole lot about yoga. I was like, oh, it's the stretches. Yep. Downward dog. Sure. Stretches out, you know, the different muscles, sun salutations. Interesting term. Not quite sure why that's there. But then as you start looking into it, you do kind of see, huh. Yeah, I can see. And most yoga classes end out with a namaste and looking into yourself and emptying your mind. And these are all things that that's not what scripture tells mm -hmm. us to do. Mm -hmm. And I know that there's been a lot of gals that have tried to do maybe Christian yoga. And I've said, oh, well, when they're doing that part, I'm just going to pray. And I think there's just a little bit like we just need to make sure that we have good discernment with that. And maybe not stepping into the muddy waters. Yeah, it is kind of a tricky one. And I would say sometimes, and maybe I'm overstepping here, but I do wonder sometimes if when we get this question, it's because perhaps, perhaps the Holy Spirit's kind of giving you a little bit of a check personally. Like, do you have a flag? Like if you're somebody that's listening to this and have been like, oh, I've kind of wondered about that. And I, and I do kind of feel weird about this particular thing they say, or that could be just a little bit of a prompting that that's not a place you should be. And if that's where the Lord's leading you, then you need to be obedient to that and not look for anybody else to give you an answer that's a very dogmatic yes or no Christians should do yoga or should not. You know, it just could just be a check that the Lord is putting on. I'm like Becca, my answer probably would have been a little different a few years ago as well. I have listened to several testimonies of gals who were really deep, deep, deep in the new age, in astrology, and I mean, way in there. And those are typically the ones that now that they have been called out of that and they are saved and they're walking with Jesus, those are usually the ones that say, run away. Mm -hmm. Don't darken the door. Stay far, far away. And that's interesting to me because for me, I'm tempted to not that be that dogmatic about mm -hmm. it. You know, I'll be tempted to be like, well, what if you do the yoga? You know, I knew a friend who did it, but it was a YouTube one. So she muted it. And she never heard anything that was on it. And I don't know, maybe she put it on her own playlist or whatever it was. And so for her, maybe that it wasn't even a consideration because she just kind of didn't take. She did take it just with the exercise and, mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. But I do find it interesting that the people that actually are very educated in what New Age stuff is out there and how actually dark and actually demonic 
some of those things are, those are the ones that are saying, yeah, you don't even want to be near that, which is interesting to me and makes me think, well, maybe I should be a little bit more discerning about that thing. You know, we don't want to be going places that, like you're saying, are a little bit muddy. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be how close can I get to the line, but perhaps. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things that if maybe you're right now, you're listening and you're thinking, I can't believe they're talking about my yoga. I love my yoga. My yoga is what's, why? Why is it the thing that you would get defensive about? And maybe if you're like, I don't really care about yoga and you don't have a dog in the fight, still pray about that too. Mm -hmm. Like, and just say, okay, Lord, why is this a discussion? Why is this something that's there? And just seek him on it to allow him to kind of give you those answers Mm -hmm. of, how to navigate this part. Yeah, sometimes the things that we get the most offensive about are the ones that we do need to pray about and go, huh, why do I not like what they're saying mm-hmm. on this? You know, we need to we need to think about that too. So maybe then going from yoga, this works us into another question that we have seen. And that is on, somebody asked us, what is biblical body image? So before we even really get into maybe what is behind this question, I want to talk about the terms that are being used there. Because when we hear the term or the phrase body image, where's that phrase coming from? Because that's a that's a very popular thing culturally right now, right? There's all the positive healthy body image. Healthy body image and it kind of goes body positive. That's another yes, one. I've heard that one. Yes. So there's a lot of things, but gals, those are worldly terms. Those are things that the world is telling you should be important to you. I mean, honestly, that's what it is. They they are saying you should care about body image. So if we're going to now take, our, take the question and go, okay, well, what does biblical body image look like? I don't really know that that's a thing. Mm-hmm. A couple scriptures came to mind. We know that it's the Lord that actually looks at the heart, not the outward man. Remember what the Lord said to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 7. He said, do not look on his appearance or on the height or his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. This is something where we can kind of make the way we look or the way we think we should look It could kind of turn into a bit of an idol for us, I think. And the Lord would have us focus far more time on the inward man and what's going on in your heart about that thing. Why do you even care about that part? Now, we have so many caveats we can throw on this, right? (laughs) We're not saying that you should just let yourself go and not care. Bonbons and cupcakes for days. Bonbons and cupcakes for days. Okay, that's not what we're saying. Because there are there's things in scripture. We know scripture talks about gluttony as a sin. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about the sin of gluttony very much. And that's mostly because we really like our bonbons and cupcakes, right? (laughs) But it is a sin. And I I do think it's interesting that while that's brought up, we also see that self-control is talked about, a fruit of the spirit that we need to exercise self-control. So there are things in there that I think play into even the choices with what our diet looks like, if we really want to work out or if we really just want to take another nap, you know? Mm -hmm. What's your favorite scripture on this one? David and I love to joke around about Proverbs. Oh, I can't remember which chapter it is, but it says somewhere. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. But then right after it says after that, and poverty will come upon you like a robber. I love it. I think it's chapter six. Proverbs six. Yeah. We could just go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just remembering we need to be stewards of what the Lord has given us, whether that's with 
the items that are within our home, whether that's with the money that the Lord has allowed our families to have or whether it's the bodies that he has given us, just realizing it's a gift and not taking it for granted what we have, Mm -hmm. but also not letting that become an idol in our lives, which I know as women can so easily twist into that way. I know there's so many mamas that are trying to show their kiddos what it means to be a healthy person or to do those different things, but just making sure that it's always representing Christ Mm -hmm. and kind of bringing it back to that. Maybe someone that's maybe struggling and thinking poorly of themselves, that also goes the wrong way too. And so we need to make sure that you are making those thoughts, bringing it back. Is this true? Is this noble? Is this right? And saying the Lord died for me and he cares for me. And so kind of, you know, remembering who we are, he created us and remembering that we are made in his image. I think that's so good. And that's such a great balance because it's keeping the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing is just like what it was saying in first Samuel, it's that inward man, it's our heart. And knowing that that is the part that really matters. That's some eternal stuff that going on. These crazy bodies that are falling apart and creaking in places that I really wish they wouldn't, they're temporal and they're not going to be there. But also, as you said, I do think gals, because this is my own conviction here, I've thought of this so many times that because many times for me, not choosing to work out is just laziness. Mm -hmm. It's just like, I'm too tired today. Now, if the reason for the working out is because I'm going after this body image thing. Mm -hmm. Well, then I think that that's just a worldly pursuit. You know, I don't think that's where we should be aimed. However, if it's because I want to keep myself in a healthy place to be a good steward of what the Lord has given me so that I can serve him for as long as possible, then that's really, that's where the motivation needs to be of like, nope, you really do need to get those workouts in and you really do need to make good choices with what you do. Because if not, I won't be able to serve the Lord as long as maybe I could have, should I have chosen differently. But that needs to be your motivation. And definitely just be careful of a lot of the terminology and the, I guess, just the huge priority that the world is putting on this whole idea of body image. Yep. Yeah. I love one of the examples that Judy Slaughter would always give is when she was struggling with maybe getting herself out the door. She would say, I'm going to walk for 10 minutes. So then that way she knew 10 minutes. I can do 10 minutes. We can all fit 10 minutes in. She would get herself 10 minutes out the door. So she knew if at that 10 minute mark that she was done, then that means she had a 10 minute walk back and it was actually 20 minutes. But just those little pieces, 10 minutes, you know, getting and even going, okay, Lord, this is a sacrifice. This is a sacrifice of my time of knowing this is going to be hard. But those 10 minutes, I don't know if there's ever been a 10 minute walk I've regretted. Right, right. And it's actually, I think, a good practice to get into just every day. I had a teacher one time that would say every day, don't do something that you could do or that you want to do and do do something that you don't want to do. And we've kind of played with those numbers over the years. Maybe every day do two things that you do not want to do mm-hmm. and don't do something that you could do, but just just don't do it. Just show even if it's a, something that's not a big deal, just don't do it mm-hmm. because we can show self-control and we can we can do that. So that is some good stuff there. Okay, how about, well, you can kind of tie in. We yeah. have also received a lot about biblical self-care. I think self-care is a big well, buzz. And, it, and I will just say, again, maybe that's even one of those little terms that mm-hmm. self-care is probably, it's a worldly term of something that we've put a ton of priority on. 
But I think as Christian gals, we can pendulum swing on this one. Mm -hmm. We can get real legalistic and say that, come on, you need to get it all done and you need to do all these things. Take no breaks. You need to work hard. All of those, which are things that we see in scripture, that we should be working hard and Mm -hmm. do all things as unto the Lord. And then we can also go the other way with the self-care and go, I just need some me time. Mm -hmm. We really don't need me time. When it's centered around self or me, we should probably stick away from it. Right, right. I Even just the thought of that, I really don't want to spend some time <laughs> with me. But does that mean then, as Christians, that if we don't want to be all about all this me time stuff and all of that, that we shouldn't take care of ourselves? Mm. And that's the thing that's also wrong. The Lord beautifully created a six-day work week and a day of Sabbath since the beginning of time. Probably he knew what was going on there, that we are wired, our bodies, our mental state, all of that need rest. And we are really quick to fill up that calendar on that Sabbath day. Well, sorry, don't have time to do Sabbath this week, maybe Mm -hmm. next week. Or you get in seasons where you just haven't, you don't even remember the last time you took a day of Sabbath and rest. So, and maybe let's just talk about what do we mean by what should a day of Sabbath and rest look like? doesn't mean napping all day. It doesn't mean napping all day. Sometimes I think sometimes we correlate those and we think, oh, if I just nap all day, then I'll be so rested and I'll be. But I think anytime I've tried to nap too much, it just makes me more lethargic. It's remembering how to rest in the Lord Mm -hmm. on those days. And I, I think just practically speaking, Chris has always talked about how it might just be that it is a day that looks different than all of your other days. But it does take some intentionality to do that. I remember there was a season when Chris had a desk job. So he was like sitting at a desk all the time. And the greatest thing he could do on a Sabbath day was something completely not that and actually be working in his garage and doing some things like that that were completely different. And that was very restful for him because it was taking him away from all the phone calls and all of the, the things that we normally do. So, no, so for us gals, what can that look like? You know, when my kids were little, this was a tricky one for me to figure out because it's not like nobody needs to eat on the Sabbath day. And I was like, well, how do I make today look different when everybody's still got to eat? But we can be creative with that and Mm -hmm. we can still do that. A little bit of planning goes a long way. Whatever day is going to be your Sabbath. And we don't need to be legalistic about what that day is. That Mm -hmm. for Becca and her family, Monday, 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 fun day, Monday, fun day. That's the Sabbath that they're at the house for us. It is on a Sunday. So don't be weird about the day or whatever. But we should be planning and we should put some intentionality behind what that can look like for our family, for you personally. Definitely modeling it for your kiddos that they need to take a break on what they're doing too. So that could look like making plans on a Saturday or whatever the day before your Sabbath is, that it's going to be a crockpot meal the next Mm -hmm. day. So that you can just kind of throw all that stuff in in the morning and you're done. Or maybe that's leftover at night for you. Or we've done it where, hey, it's paper plate night, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's okay, you know. So you think about what that looks like for your family. But the important thing is that we do recognize that we do need rest. And I feel like even more so even than the physical side of things, I think the mental rest is Mm -hmm. the biggest thing. We are so much input constantly. Our phones, emails, it just never ends, right? It just feels like we constantly have things going into our brain. That's where I usually find my biggest 
the thing that I need the rest from is that I need to turn my brain off. Yeah. And Unplugging on those Sabbath yeah. days is huge. It's just such a, there's just a weight lifted off. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's not, like, as you said, it's not the information that's constantly bombarding you. Even though I know so many, oh, well, it's just cute pictures of my friends and, or they got a new puppy or, you know, these mm-hmm. different things. It's still just more, yeah. you know, just resting, quiet. And enjoying being with the fam or, you know, at home, whatever that looks like. Maybe it's just going out for a walk and spending a little extra time reading, enjoying a longer cup of tea, you know. Yeah. Doesn't have to be weird. I will say that if it's hard for you to maybe drop the phone for a day, that might be a prompting that you need to drop the phone for a little bit more than a day. Yeah. That's on me. You know, there would be times where if I can't leave it alone for a day, then that kind of tells me I've been drawn to it too much and that I need to be kind of taking more of a step back and being more disciplined with my time on that. So so another question that we get a lot, especially for both our online crew, but then also gals who are maybe newer to Athe is how do I get connected? Because Athe is so big. And what's your answer to that, Becca? If you have been at Athe for a while, maybe, you know, six or more months and you're like, yeah, this is definitely where I am being fed. This is where I want to be plugged in. Then I would say, get involved, get volunteering. Mm -hmm. And whether that's with AV women or maybe it's something else, maybe you are super passionate about helping out with kiddos, or maybe you've got some security skills, or you love being super outgoing and want to be at the information, or maybe you're like, coffee's my jam. There's so many different ways to be able to get plugged in, especially through volunteering, and it just helps make the big church feel small. And you can start familiarizing yourself with different people. Also, this might seem backwards, but try sitting in the same place and introducing yourself to those people. That's a huge ask. And I know that because as an introvert, there's no way that I want to be the one to reach out and say, hi, my name is Becca. Like I would rather just sit in my chair and let someone else come to me. But so many times by being the person to break the ice first, it helps. And you don't know that other person that's waiting in the chair, they might be hoping to get connected to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And obviously going to things. You know, I've heard to heard from some gals that knew no one going to like New Mercies a year ago and met someone that ended up being one of their closest friends over this last year. And, and it was just because they sat next to them and did exactly like what you're saying there. But don't think we're just saying, hey, volunteer, because this is a shameless plug to help out or whatever. Yeah, it's actually not that we're saying this because this is us experientially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For me, I just am introvert. Yes. And I, I all of those things that she just said are completely terrifying, <laughs> you know. And when we started going to Athe, this was over 20 years ago. It's been like 23 or something like that now. Athe was way, way smaller. And I remember it hit me after we'd been there like 10 years or so. And and I just realized that I didn't realize that Athe had gotten big. <laughs> and the reason was just because I started helping. And so I started meeting people in smaller bites, but I was meeting them as we went. And so I kind of didn't look around and go, oh, we are really big. That can be really hard for you if you're just now joining us at Athe and it's giant and you're like, oh my goodness, why, you know, it's such a big place. But that's why when you take it down to a little bit more of a microcosm and you do just kind of plug in in a volunteer thing, you do get to just meet one person or two people that you're working with. And I'm also somebody that just really loves to have a job. If you could not see, and this is probably going to sound weird to a lot of you who you've only known me since I've been doing 
doing what I do now and, and speaking at the church for the women's events and then here on the podcast, you might think that, oh, Amy, you've just always loved to be in front of people and all that stuff. Oh, my goodness. Nothing, nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. And I used to volunteer at the women's events that we would do. And I loved to be the gopher. I wanted to be the person that just kind of ran around and did all the errands in the back and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Because Ironing. Really, how many, how oh, many red s- tablecloths did you iron? I have ironed a lot of tablecloths, <laughs> folks. So I, I just kind of like to have a job and you do get to know people over time. Here's the thing. Getting connected, getting plugged in. Those are things. It is not a quick checkbox to check off. You might volunteer in one area and it's just not a fit. Those people just might not be a good mix. And so... You can be like, well, I tried to get connected and it didn't work. Don't do that. Just because it is really important that we stay, yes, in fellowship together as a big body at church and actually being in church. So, so important. And I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I'm going to keep banging that drum because in this day of church being really easy from your couch, I get it. And we're thankful for the technology, but it is not an excuse to not be in fellowship with other other believers. It's really, really important. So making yourself, if you are local here in Portland, being able to go volunteer in another service, you know, go work at the four and sit in the six or something like that can make it so you do get to, you're stretching yourself a little bit, but you are going to get connected, but it's going to take a little bit and be willing to put that time and effort in. I mean, it's really, really worth it. So, okay, I could spend more time on that, but I need to not because we want to get a couple more. I, so just a few. I got a question about what good family devotional time looks like with five kiddos. This person has seven, six, three, and two one-year-olds. Oh, my goodness. Bless you. Okay, so this is going to sound super simplistic. And I know your ages of your kiddos are all across the board. And so I'll let Becca chime in on that. But The devotional book that we have always used in our house, and we've used it year after year, month after month, we have used the book of Proverbs. Mm. And when my kids, when we, the first times they started this, I think Evan was, I think he might've been five, which would have meant Caden was three and Brennan would have been an infant. So probably Brennan wasn't even down in that room. Sometimes he was probably still sleeping. The thing, though, I'd say, though, is habit, and it's a consistency of you're doing something. My middle guy is a senior in high school, and this morning, today was the first, and so we did Proverbs chapter one. You will never run out of material in Proverbs, and you'll never run out of things that you can adjust age appropriateness. It's so amazing, all the things that you can get from that. If if your husband can lead it in the morning or a time at dinner or whenever that works for you, awesome. If he's not available to do that, then mama, you jump in and start doing that with your kids. But whether it's two minutes, whether it's five minutes, 15 minutes, whatever you have time for to do it, just there isn't a wrong. <laughs> the wrong is not doing it, I think. But It's easy for us to say things like, oh, well, when they're a little bit older, I'll do this. Or once they can do whatever, then I'll do it. You just can't. You just can't do that. Even if it feels like it's a total fail, like Mm -hmm. you sit down and you read it and everybody's starting to go crazy do it again the next day. Mm -hmm. But also mamas, expect that you can set some behavior standards for your kids in devotions. And they are absolutely capable at extremely young ages Mm -hmm. of sitting quietly Mm -hmm. and they don't need to be entertained all the time. They can actually just sit there and listen to you read the words. You can pray together and it can just be really sweet. I would say the younger you start, the better. Yeah. And I think I completely, just the consistency, that's such a key piece because then it's, 
It's just saying, this is what we do. And the kids get it. They get into it. Even just today, I was talking with my sweet girl and we were just talking, we're, we're navigating junior high and she's heading into a couple different events and those different things. And I just said, you know, I've been saying the same thing since you were two and three before you head into an event. What are those things? And she was able to rattle off. And it's a couple of different little proverbs that we have, you know, mm-hmm. that we go in. And she even laughed and she said, you have been saying that every time. And she goes, you know, when I think of you, I think of those two things. And part of it, it's like, OK, maybe I'm a little monotonous when it comes to that. But at the same time, if those two proverbs are the ones that stick, Let's keep with that, you know? So just being able to, whether they're little, I know there's like, you know, sometimes family devotions are at bedtime when they're little, but also I love the connection with mealtimes just because it does give little ones that ability to be able to still have food in front of them. Or if you're wanting to set it apart a little bit more, like it's okay if kiddos draw during it and it helps them maybe sometimes of like, okay, this is what we read about today. Why don't you draw a picture about it? And then as they get older, maybe it's journaling about it in those different pieces, just making it, taking in the word, praying about it and the application of it. We still even tack on like uh, things at dinner table and we don't get to do it every dinner. But, you know, just last night, actually, if you've got older kids, I really encourage you to do this. And by older, I mean, even like junior high on up. You know, this is why I do think having dinner together as a fam, as much as you can possibly still pull that off, do it because you can have some really priceless conversations in that. And right now, like last night, we were we kind of took a view, a worldview on actually the fall and creation and some things that I had been reading earlier in the day. And we're able to just kind of talk to the kids about that and have them biblically respond to what would you say to somebody who believes this? And it's so great. And I think one of the things that I always love is it's their go-to to start like responding and like give an answer. And Chris, all the time, he says, what do I tell you to do first? And last night, Brennan kind of looked at him and get my Bible. And so he walked over and he gets his Bible, you know, and you got, because you got, you got to read it. You got to see what it says. So dinner time too, it, you know, if there's things that you can even do extra and especially as they get older, maybe throwing out there a non-biblical worldview and why we can't hang on to that as Christians and what the Bible says about that. So those can be some more challenging ones. Okay, so this next question is how to be submissive to my husband when we don't agree. This particular question, I think they were talking about tithing and I'm not sure if if she was wanting to tithe or he was wanting to tithe, but they were disagreeing and she said, how can I be respectful but still do what I think we should do kind of thing. So here's what I wanna say to us gals when our husbands are wanting to do one thing and maybe we really disagree pray. Ladies, pray. We often think that, well, just pray. That's all I can do. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's the wrong thing right there. Pray. I have experienced things in my marriage that I did not see eye to eye with what my husband wanted to do. I mean, I had this issue early on in our marriage that I was like, what? Now I didn't say that out loud. Okay. But I disagreed. And here's the thing. This is the Lord in his grace and his mercy as I prayed about that thing, and it didn't happen overnight. So don't think this is like, oh, good, I'm going to pray for a week and it's all going to be good. Mm -hmm. I prayed about this for weeks and months and it went on. And the Lord actually changed my heart. 
not hits. Mm -hmm. And that's often what you're going to find. Now, if it's something where you know you're praying about something that the Bible's very clear about and your husband's walking in a different way, just again, still just pray about that. Let the Lord change his heart. It's really important, gals, that we do not try to be our husband's Holy Spirit. And it's tempting, but don't do it. We're not a good Holy Spirit. We really aren't. So really just continue to pray about that. I love this gal's heart in this question that she is desiring to be respectful to him. So by being respectful, though, you just continue to really pray for him and let the Lord direct you guys' path and step. And the thing is, is you guys, I think you will be so amazed how the Lord just perfectly answers and solves all of those those things because he's into marriage and he is into us holding biblical roles within our marriages and he's into us honoring him through our marriages. And so I think that's going to be an amazing thing how you get to see that play out. A couple people have asked if we're going to do a Raising Women episode. Raising Women. I don't know. We do. There is a possibility that I might do one specific to that this summer. I've been thinking about that. But I would also say listen to the Raising Men. Listen to Raising Men, actually. I think it is one of those things, especially for maybe moms that have girls, you want to hear that side of it, too. Like, Mm -hmm. it's still very, very applicable. So much of it is very much what gals should be doing, too, but also helping your little ones know what to look for in a biblical man. Yeah. Because it lays amazing groundwork. And if they're always hearing, here's how a man does things biblically— That's what they're going to look for. And so we really don't do a whole lot of like romantic talk, those different things with our daughter, especially in junior high. We keep that out. Dating, not even anywhere close right now because it's not that's not an option. However, she does look to her daddy Mm -hmm. and she looks to her grandfathers to be able to see what biblical men look like. And so and it just helps us to be able to see those relationships, but then also for girls to be able to know who their heavenly father is and what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. So that's great. So we've got the Raising Men stuff. And then I would just say, too, on the other things, gals, this is a podcast for gals. (laughs) So it might be for grown up gals. But I think there's always elements as we study what the word says. There's ways we can make that age appropriate in a lot of things. When we've done podcasts on modesty, we've, Mm -hmm. we've done things, even on bigger things like the Lord's will. Somebody did ask a question about like, how do you know the Lord's will, which I decided to not go into on this episode, but I will refer you guys to a past episode that we did all on that. And I'll put that in the notes too. It was on, I think it was called, Do I Overthink the Lord's Will? I'm not totally sure, but we'll we'll put the link to it. But yeah, you can always make something, take something and make it more age appropriate to where you're at. So, all right. I filled up this entire time. So I hope this was helpful to you guys. Hey, if you have other questions or things that you would like us to take another stab at, we would love to hear what your questions are. So you can email us at, where is it? You can either do women at Athey Creek or you could do devoted podcast at athecreek.com. Yes. So hit us up at either one of those and I will really do my best to not make this like, oh, cool. I'll answer this in three years. So either way, you're going to get a quick email response from us. But if the episode comes out, that's the part I'm a little bit slower on, but we will do our best. All right. Thank you. And we will catch you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the devoted podcast. We are a ministry of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship in Westland, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at athecreek.com.